Praise the Lamb of God, this is D.K. Groom, that's rock solid truth. And I am so glad that every single one of you have joined with us today. Amen. I know that you're watching all over the world, in Pakistan, Kenya, Liberia, amen, Cuba, all over the world. And we are so glad to have you with us today. We are live streaming from Bettendorf, Iowa, in the Hilton Garden Inn. And so it is good to be with you. If you got, don't have your Bible, run and get it very quickly because we want to share the word with you. Right now, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise as we say glory to the Lamb of Almighty God. Hallelujah. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. I have been bringing to you for the past number of weeks a series that I am in the midst of contending for the faith. Contending for the faith. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For then it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written. The just or the righteous shall live by faith. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word today, and thank you for the opportunity to stand in thy presence. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in the midst of your children. Thank you, Lord, for what we've already done and what you've already done through Rock Solid Truth to touch multitudes of people throughout the world. We'll give you all the praise and all of the glory that the mighty name of Jesus Christ shall be exalted and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. We have learned through revelation, through revelation of the word, that contending for faith has to be the lifestyle of that faith. If you're going to contend for faith, what does contend mean? Contend means to breath it, to, to grab a hold of it and say, it's mine, it belongs to me, to make it your own. You know, we need to understand that Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. But we've got to make that faith our own. We've got to walk according to that faith as he has given it to us. But it's got to work through you because of the impartation he gave through him. Everybody get that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It must be lifestyle. Lifestyle meaning what? Last night, all night long, nobody woke up in the middle of the night and said, breathe. Nobody woke up. Now, I will guarantee you that some of you woke up and said, I have to go to the bathroom. But you didn't wake up and say, breathe. You didn't wake up and say, kidneys work. Lungs work, heart work. No. Why? Because those things are lifestyle. That's where our faith needs to be, lifestyle. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. I told you this a couple of weeks ago, that I believe probably 85% of all of God's people spend 90% of their time walking by sight, and only a very, very small percentage of walking by faith. Why? Because it's easier to walk by sight. If you don't believe me, Stand up right now, amen, close your eyes, and make a trip around this room. That will solve the issue, because it's so easy to walk by sight. In fact, is we have learned to walk by sight. We have relished walking by sight, and yet we don't know what walking by faith is. So when it comes to walking by sight, we're comfortable with it. 
when it comes to walking by faith, we are uncomfortable with it. And the reason is because we have become dominant and we have dominant sense knowledge concerning walking by sight. So what does walking by faith mean? It means walking by something that is more tangible, more real, more solid, more believing, more real than what you're walking by your five senses. That's what faith means, walking by faith. You see, I brought this to you last week, but it's reality. The woman with the issue of the blood that had spent all of her life going to doctors, spending all of her money, trying to find an answer through sight. And then one day she says, I can just touch the hem of his garment. And so by faith, what did she do? She got down on her knees. Everybody else is on their feet. Everybody else is on her feet. Everybody else is reaching out. Everybody else is touching Jesus. She gets down on her knees to touch the hem of his garment. I want to tell you right now, that is nothing but revelation and walking in faith. Where everyone else, people are stepping on her hands. She's in a very precarious place because if anybody sees who she is, and the condition that she has, she can be stoned according to the law because of the blood that's flowing out of her. She's walking by faith. Because to her, touching the hem of his garment was more real than anything that was happening walking by sight. She made contact. Her heart, her spirit, made contact with his heart, his spirit, and virtue immediately flowed out of him. And he had nothing to do with it. This is so powerful. He didn't say go. He said, oh, somebody touched my heart, it's time to heal them. No, it happened automatically. His heart touched her heart, and she was healed. Simply because of one thing. Because she walked by faith. You see, faith had to heal. Yep. Faith had no option. It had to heal her. You want to know why people are not getting saved? You want to know why people are not getting healed? I'll tell you why. Because there's too many other options. There's too many other options. There's the hospital option. There's the doctor option. There's the medicine option. I'll lose weight option. I'll eat better option. I'll exercise option. Are any of these things wrong? No, they're not wrong, but they have nothing to do with faith. These things are options instead of faith. She got down on her knees and she said, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Glory to God. Because inside you, if you're a born-again child of God, if you have been baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And even if you're not baptized, inside of you is a promise. You're born again, there's a promise. What is that promise? Number one, you've been accepted in the beloved. Number two, you're delivered. Number three, you're healed. Wait a minute. I'm healed. 
2,000 years ago, when he took the stripes upon his back, you were healed. How can I be healed 2,000 years ago when I wasn't even born? Well, how can you be saved 2,000 years ago when you're not born? The same thing that applies to salvation applies through healing. And number four, inside of you is the promise for prosperity. Wow. One of the guidelines for prosperity. G-I-V-E. 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 Oh no, I don't like that part. That's the guideline. The only way it comes. The only way it comes. It's the only way. Now, I'm not here to knock people over the head about giving. I'm just telling you how it comes. Amen? Healing comes by faith. Prosperity comes by giving through faith. Hallelujah. Deliverance comes through faith. Salvation comes through grace and faith. All four of these things God desires for you to walk in. And they're all centered around grace and faith. Grace is running after you. Trying to catch you. That's what grace is. What is grace? I said this a long time ago. What is grace? Grace is nothing but the power of God. That's what grace is. Grace is trying to catch you. To overtake you. To overcome you. Oh my goodness. That's what grace is all about. Trying to overcome you, to overtake you, so that you can be overwhelmed by faith for that these four things in your life become reality in this present world. Glory to God. All promises given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at John chapter 17 verse 3. John 17, 3. And this is life eternal. Or let me put it to you another way. This is everlasting life. What does John 3, 16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes upon him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. This is the same thing. And this is life eternal. This is life everlasting. What is life eternal? That you might know the only true God and Jesus Christ, not his son. How are you going to know him? Someone is going to say, because I'm saved. No. No, I don't know. The only way that you're going to know him is through the word. I was reading uh, a newsletter past week, and Brother Mike made it abundantly clear that these disciples walked with him for two and a half hours, and they didn't know it was him. Two and a half hours, they've been with him for three and a half years, they walk with him for two and a half hours and they don't know that it's him. And yet we're arrogant enough to believe that we know him because we're saved. When multitudes of people are going to be knocking on the door, when the bridegroom comes and he goes in and he shuts the door and they're going to say, we prophesied in your name. We prayed for people, they were delivered. We raised the dead. We did all of these things. And Jesus sits there and says, I don't know you. Why don't you know him? Because they don't know him through the word. 
That's a scary thing. You see, you can't know God through denomination. You can't know God through your church. You can't know God through anything other than through the Word. Amen. You can't know God through rock solid truth. You can't know God through DK Groom. Well, but you're my pastor. I get it. But you still cannot know them because I'm your pastor. Yes, amen. You must know him through his word. Amen. Mary Magdalene says, Rabona, do his word. That you might know the only true God in Jesus Christ. The only way, the only way, the absolutely only way that you're going to know God the Father and God the Son is through this. If it sits in your living room and you never open it, except maybe once a week, I guarantee you that when he comes, the chances are very good that you won't know him. And someone is going to say, how could that be so? The entire nation of Israel had been waiting for him for thousands of years, and when he came, they did not know him. The only way that you're going to know God the Father, the only way that you're going to know God the Son, is going to be through His Word. If you only open up your Bibles on Sunday morning, I tell you, you're in danger. Oh, by the way, we have Wednesday night services and we have Sunday night services for all of you who are watching by television. Amen. By live streaming, you that are watching here, amen, that you can pick up one of these, amen, and you can join us on internet, amen, for Wednesday night service at 6 o'clock and for Sunday night service at 6 o'clock. Hallelujah. But it's your choice. All I can do is present to you the opportunity, if I was to say, you know what? That's for anybody who wants it <laughs> after service today. Just feel free. And there would be people, can I go now? Can I go? Can I go now? Can I go now? Hallelujah. Because all I give you is opportunities. Yep. That's what I give you. To the Word of God. If you're on, if you're not on, it's your choice. You make that decision. Hallelujah. Go over to the Lamb of God. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Am I getting through to your church? Yes, amen. Are you understanding? Yes. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know what I'm going to talk to you about this morning for a little while? It's about doubt. D-O-U-B-T. Doubt. I want to speak to you about how we as children of God are able to come out of that place called doubt and enter into that place called now faith. Out of doubt into now faith. I want to show you how you're able to overcome that place. Because doubt is a very comfortable place for us to be. Very comfortable. 
We don't say a whole lot about it. We don't think a whole lot about it. And if another Christian asks us, do we doubt, we'll him haul around and we'll say a lot of things, amen, not really coming out with the truth saying, oh yeah, I doubt a lot every single day. We don't want to deal with that. Because it makes us look unchristian. It makes us look like we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing as disciples of Christ. But I want to show you something about doubt. And instead of it becoming comfortable, I want to bring you into now faith, which should make you uncomfortable. Uh, just like when I was talking about money a little while ago. You know, uncomfortable. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look what the word says. Matthew chapter 11, verse 22. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Now when John hath heard in the prison, now, let me say it again. Now when, had, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou here, should we come, or do we look for another? Who are we talking about here? John the Baptist. Are you kidding me, Pastor? John the Baptist. The greatest prophet, and more than a prophet, known greater than any man. That's what the Word of God says, and I'm going to deal with this in, in, in full scope next week. Greater than any man, Jesus said, greater than any prophet, and much more than a prophet. And here we've got God. In prison. Now speculation as to whether he was there six months or up to two years. Nobody knows for sure. But the fact of the matter is that he's in prison. And he's wavering. Greatest man in the history of the world. Other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's wavering. It's tragic. And where's he wavering at? He's wavering because he's beginning to doubt that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Thirty years of preparation in the desert. In six months, he has turned all of Israel and all of the surrounding countries towards Christ as the Messiah. In six months. 30 years of preparation. His words are this. I must decrease. He must increase. Those are his words. 30 years preparation. And in six months, the entire nation of Israel is expecting with anticipation the coming of the Messiah. John sees Jesus walking towards him. John receives an audible revelation from God the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then he sees a visual When he sees the Holy Ghost descending upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Yes. So he's got a revelation, an audible revelation, and he's got a visible revelation. And this is what John says in John 1.29. Behold, 
the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. But then John opens his mouth and says, You know what, Herod? That wife that you've got is not yours, it's your brother. You know, it's John speaking about things that uh, many of us are quiet about. How many of you saw my post last week about being the salt and the light of the earth? How many of you saw the revelation that we are not salt and light anymore and it's quite evident in the society that we live in? Because we are silent when we ought to be speaking out. In fact, I was shocked when I seen the state overseer who made a comment and he said, Pastor, this is excellent preaching. Because we're not salt and light anymore. You know why? Because we don't want to offend anymore. We don't want to offend our family. We don't want to offend our children. We don't want to offend our wives. We don't want to offend our brother. We don't want to offend our sister. And we certainly do not want to offend the church. And so we keep our mouths shut. Somebody says something and we don't say anything because we know it's going to bring controversy. And we say it for the sake of our children. We say it for the sake of our relatives. We say it for the sake to keep the peace. Which means that, oh, here's thank you, Lord. Instead of being the salt and the light to the world, we become the prayer closet. to the world. That's where we go to take care of business. That's where we go to speak our mind. That's where we go to say, Lord, take care of the Lord, and you're the salt and the light of the world, and you are silent, and because of that, you're making the world nothing but a garbage heap. Well, I don't know if I like it. I don't really care whether you like it or not. It's the truth of the matter. Because you're silent, because you're not light, because you're not salt, the world becomes a garbage dump good for nothing. Are you always like this? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. That's why this country is going the way that it's going, is because the church has stopped being salt and light. And we have, oh Lord, we've said, well, it's got to be Trump to get in there so that we can get things changed around. It's got to be politicians to vote them in and to vote them out. And the reality is, is that the power lies within you, the salt and the light. It has nothing to do with Trump. It has nothing to do with the GPO, the G, G Republicans, whatever. It has nothing to do with those that are constitutional enough. It has nothing to do with nothing other than you, the church, Amen. are not salt and light anymore.
And because of that, I mean, after all, when your children come over and they disagree with you and you're just being silent so that they can have a good time, what are you doing? You're actually enforcing their thinking. Because you're the salt and the light. Jesus said you're the salt and the light. Well, I don't like everybody not to like me. Hey, I get it. I tried for I don't know how many years for everybody to like me, and they still didn't like me. Because I was always doing something that did not line up with them. I just came from a church. Amen. Where half of the people that in that church did not want me going overseas. And they did not want to spend any money about going overseas. They didn't like it. We ought to do things here in our country. Well, you see what's happening in our country. Because you've been silent. Because you're not saying nothing. Because you don't do nothing. Well, let's just have church. You just have church. Yeah. What good is church if you don't do nothing? By the way, you're the church. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So John is in a bad place. He's isolated. He's in prison. Oh, by the way, Herod is still having a good time with his brother's wife. Everything is still going on, hunky-dory. Amen. Jesus is still preaching. But John's isolated. This is the place where multitudes of people are because of sickness. Isolated. Because the church has stopped calling. Because the church has stopped reaching out. This is the people, this is the place where multitudes of people are lonely because they've lost a spouse. Because they've lost their loved one, because they've lost a child. And they're isolated and the devil begins to work on them big time every single day, every hour, and pretty soon they get down to the place where they are beat down, trampled down, trying to survive. Greatest man in all the world. Greatest of any prophet. And here he is, in prison, calling for two of his disciples Go ask him. I want to know. Is he the one? Or should we look for him? You know, it's heart-wrenching. It's heart... that someone who is the forerunner of Jesus Christ, finds himself in this position, shipwrecked. Faith shipwrecked. You don't begin to think about that, and you know what I come to think? Jesus didn't even do for John what Jesus did for Peter. Jesus said to Peter, when you fail, Satan wants to sift you as wheat. When you fail, know that I prayed for you and that you will be restored and strengthen the brethren. And Jesus did not even do that for John.
John has come to the place. He don't know who he is. You know what's tragic here is that there are thousands and multitudes of people who are in this place and yet they won't admit this is where we're at. I thank God for the scriptures so that we can see if it happened to John, yes. which one of us is arrogant enough to believe that it's not wouldn't happen to us. Yes, amen. amen. Thirty years in the wilderness, preparing, confusion and despair in that prison cell. I want you to show, I want to show you something, and I have to be honest, I had a hard time with it. When the Lord showed me this revelation, I had a hard time with it. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 4. <coughs> Matthew chapter 11, verse 4. The disciples have come to Jesus. John has sent them to Jesus and the disciples have come and they're there. They've made their presence known to Jesus. Look at the scripture. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again these things which he do hear and see. Blind you see their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Look at the scripture. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. This man is in a critical place in his life. Jesus doesn't even acknowledge the two disciples. Scripture will tell you, and I'll show you in just a few moments, that he spent over an hour making them wait on the side while he healed the sick, cleansed the lepers, raised the dead. Over an hour. And then after an hour, he looks at him and says, you go back and tell John, the things that you've seen and what you've heard. And tell John this. He'll be blessed if he's not offended. Wow. You know what I have noticed in 30 years of church work? Is that most of the people that have left Rock solid truth or abundant life. Left because of one thing. They were offended. And I understand that there's going to be multitudes of people who come my way. That they're not going to like what I say. They're not going to like what I do. They're not going to like what I preach. And because of that, they're going to go because they're offended. And this is what John says. This is what Jesus says. Go tell John. Go tell him. And if he's not offended, he'll be blessed. You know, I've watched some of you in this church become offended over things that were said, over things that people said. Offended. Because you know what offense does? It rises up its ugly head. And you know what offense does? That if it rises up its ugly head, 
you're denied the blessing. I wish people could understand that. Because here's the reality. Because of what the Lord has given to me, I guarantee you that if you stick it out, you stick it out, you'll walk away blessed, not offended. Hello? The greatest prophet, Jesus says, you'll be blessed, John, if you're not offended. In other words, John, here's your problem. You've got two options. Be blessed or be offended. I wonder how many of us have been offended over something in the past six months. And yet, the reason that we got offended is was because of one thing. What is it? E M O T I O N F. Pardon? Emotions. Emotions. That's the only reason you get offended is because of emotions. Oh, by the way, that's the reason that people are shooting each other in cities because of emotion. Because somebody doesn't agree with them. They become offended. And so what do they do? They get a gun and they go shoot somebody. All from the emotion of offense. I'll take a good amen. I'm preaching really good here. Amen. 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 Why would you ever pick up a gun other than self-defense or your family? Other than nothing but offense. Hey John, guess what? If you don't become offended, you become blessed. You ever been offended, Pastor? Oh, I have. Have you ever been quiet because you were offended? I have. But not often. I'll take a good amen on that. Amen. Not often. Why? Because I want to know, I want people to know when I'm offended. You know why I want them to understand that? So that they can agree with me? You had every right to be offended, Pastor. Every single right. You had every right. No. My right was to be blessed. That was my right. John, if you're not offended, you'll be blessed. I have to be honest, when I first read this scripture, I thought, Lord, I know multitudes of people just like this, that when they get down, when they get weary, when they come to the place, they want an encouraging word. You know what they want? They want somebody to walk up and pat them on the back and say, you know what, brother? It's going to be all right. Hang right in there. God's going to work something out for you. Just do this. Hang in there because God will work it out. That's what people want. That's what they're looking for. That's what John wanted. And Jesus did not give John what he wanted. Weary, broken down, confused, feeling sorry for himself. Oh, that's a good one. If I have time and I don't have time, feeling sorry for myself. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. 
Jesus didn't give it to him. This is what Jesus did. I want to cut this short. You disciples of John, you go back and tell John the things you've seen and the things that you've heard. What are the things that you've seen and you've heard? You've seen the blinded eyes open. You've seen the deaf hearing. You watched as I raised an individual from the dead. You saw tongues being loosed. You go back and tell John the things you've seen and you've heard. And you know, I wondered about that. Why tell him those things? Because it was John who spent 30 years in the Bible, 30 years in the scripture, because Isaiah is going to tell him that when the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, tongues will be loosed, ears will be unstopped, the, mouth, the, the, the mouths shall be opened, the, they shall rejoice in their heart, flowers shall bloom out of the ground because of the Messiah that comes. Behold, the one who takes away the sins of the world. That's what he sent John back to hear. Amen. You know what? You never heard another word of John. The next thing you will read about John is that his head is on a platter. Because the daughter has asked for that head because of the mother. You never hear another word of it, John. Here's the reality. Here's the truth. Like Peter, John wavered. But Jesus didn't give to Peter what he gave to John. To the greatest that there was, he gave him back the word. Gave him back the word. That you might know the one true God, Jesus Christ, who has sent, it will never have revelation except through this, through faith. Let's pray. Praise you today. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. I exalt you, Lord, and I praise you, Lord, and I magnify your name. There are multitudes of people that are watching me live streaming all over the world. And some of you are in a hard place. You're in a weary place. You're in an isolated place. You're in a place where you're confused. You're in a place where you have forgotten who you are. You have forgotten what has been imparted to you. And because of that, you're struggling. And in the struggling, you're calling out. And you're wanting to get back to who you are and who he is. I direct you back to the Word. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. That which raised him from the dead will raise you up from the place that you're at. It's on the inside of you. All it needs to do is come out of you. Speak it. And faith 
shall be renewed. Speak to the mountain, and the mountain shall be removed. Here's something you need to know about the mountain. It didn't say that the mountain wouldn't be formed. It just said that the mountain would be removed. So if there's a mountain in front of you, that's because the devil is doing everything in his power to keep that mountain before you, but you have the power and authority to remove it. Contending for the faith as lifestyle. This is D.K. Groomswick, Rock Solid Truth. It has been a pleasure and an honor to come into your home, to come into your place of worship. Go with God, and I guarantee you this. He will surely, surely follow you. Take care. God bless. Till next week, amen. Praise the Lamb of God. This is D.K. Groves with Rock Solid Truth. Go with God, and he will surely go with you.